Hi, welcome to Sistery Untold. We are your sisters and hosts, Sabrina and Martha. And on this podcast, we look at sistery through the eyes of sisterhood. Not correct. Wait, what did I say? You said we look at sistery through the oh eyes of sisterhood. Oh my god, it's the wine. Okay. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Sistery Untold. We are your sisters and hosts, Sabrina. And Martha. And on this podcast, we look at history through the eyes of sisterhood. I made it. Good job. <laughs> Third time's the charm. Well, this is actually like the 15th time actually. because we also did this yesterday. Yeah. So. Curse you, anger. I accidentally <laughs> clicked on because I was like trying to edit it or something, and I accidentally clicked on the like ad sponsorship thing. I know, I saw. Yeah, I'm like, we will never <laughs> like advertise for anger on this podcast. There's a sacred space. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. I know. So, coming to you ad free. Brought to you by our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. Sincerely. <laughs> yes. Um. um We'll do a I think shout it's out so cute when we say Blair um Blair. at the same time because it's like harmonized. We're like, um, um, you know what I mean? Um, um, <laughs> okay, what are we doing? Anyways, we... <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Do you know what you're doing? I'll let you do the doing. Go ahead, Marva. <laughs> okay. So, this is a very late afternoon, evening. <laughs> Friday episode brought to you sponsored by Halloween <laughs> which is part two of our Royal Witches episode with Gemma Holman the author of the book Royal Witches Ooh. which hopefully you guys heard part one already it was super fun to talk with her and learn all about the like you know OG witches <laughs> and so this is part two and this is actually we did the interview in reverse yeah. order for whatever reason. So this the is like OOG part two. wishes. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> yeah, so whatever. Um, so yeah, we hope that you enjoy this episode and you're welcome. Yeah, a little bit more about the episode. We're gonna be talking <laughs> about Joan of Navarre and Eleanor Cobham. So they're we're really excited to talk about them and Marva, do you want to tell them a little bit, again, about Gemma, her Twitter, just in case anyone missed that the first time and they want to learn more? Yeah, so Gemma is mine and Sabrina's, like, favorite little superstar. And you can find, like, she does, she wrote this book, obviously, but then she also writes a lot of other stuff. She writes a blog called Just History Posts, which you can find it online and we will post the link to it somewhere, but you can also follow it on Twitter at Just History Post. And she posts, yeah, she writes articles with a bunch of like historical information, not just about witches and like kind of all over the world, all spanning through time of just kind of really interesting stories. So I definitely recommend you check it out. Yeah. So without further ado, <laughs> we'll let Gemma take it away. And talk about the things she knows best, which is royal witches. And happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween. Okay. (laughs) 
so the first half of my book actually focuses on two women who were earlier on in the century. Um, so you have Queen Joan, who is queen right at the start of the century. Um, she is married to Henry IV of England. Um, and then the other woman is Eleanor Cobham, who's around um, sort of the first half to the middle of the century. Um, and they were also both part of the royal family and they were also both accused of witchcraft. And all of the cases do kind of feed into each other and you can see how the accusations grow as each woman um, comes forward and has her own case and how the sort of people accusing these women learn of what works and what doesn't work. And you can see the development really move on um, as, as the century develops and you, you get back to Jaquetta and Elizabeth. Um, you can see hints of both Joan and Eleanor's cases with them. So Joan um, is known as Joan of Navarre. So she was um, a princess of the Kingdom of Navarre in northern Spain. Um, and she had previously been married to the Duke of Brittany in France. And she'd had lots of children with him, um, about nine yes. children. Um, and she had just basically been permanently pregnant while she was with oh. him um, and didn't necessarily do uh, too much in Brittany, really, because obviously she was she was busy having children. Mm -hmm. um, but her husband was a lot older than her. He was about 30 years or so older than her. Um, and so he died in the 1390s. Um, and it, this is at the same time that Richard II is ruling England. And Richard II has a falling out with his cousin called Henry Bolingbroke. And Hen Henry uh, rebels against him and he ends up claiming the throne for himself. So in a similar fashion to sort of Richard the mm -hmm. next century. And so he becomes Henry IV of England. Um, and Henry and Joan had actually met each other several years beforehand and it seems that they had kept in correspondence with each other and not long after he becomes king and um, Joan's husband dies they actually start having these plans to get married themselves um, and it seems like it was very much a love match between the two of them um, because politically you know Joan wasn't necessarily the best bride for him you know she was a widow with lots of children um, she was Duchess of Brittany and Brittany and England had a great rivalry between each other um, they really didn't like each other um, Joan didn't necessarily have loads of land and wealth and alliances to bring with her so it's not necessarily the best match for him you know it's certainly not the worst you know she's she's of a high status she's a princess and a duchess mm. um but we have these letters that survive between them that seems to suggest that they they really did care about each other and that perhaps this was a love match um so Joan goes over to England and gets married to Henry um and they sort of have a very happy marriage together um and Henry already had children from his previous mm. marriage and so she becomes their stepmother um, and she seems to have gotten on really well with her stepchildren. She was quite a good mediator um, between the future Henry V and his father, who fought a lot. Um, and her stepchildren all called her their dearest mother. And so she seems to have really been embraced by the family. Um, but Henry IV is quite sickly, and so he dies Um and so his son, Henry V, takes over and Joan decides to stay in England. And there's probably a few reasons for it. You know, she's she's made Hing England her home for the previous decade. So you wouldn't necessarily want to leave. Um, she might have wanted to be close to where Henry had been. Um, and she'd formed this friendship with her stepchildren and her children in Brittany were all grown up and married and moved mm. away. 
So she decides to stay in England, stay at court, um, and she's treated really well by Henry V, and he gives her lots of castles and lands and lets her um, use his own castles when he's away. Um, and later chroniclers say that she... Um, she was actually regent of the kingdom whilst Henry was away fighting in oh. France. Um, and that actually didn't turn out to be true. When I looked into it, he actually gave, he actually gave it to his, um, to his brother. But the fact that, you know, sort of a century later, people believed that he cared and trusted for her so much that he would put her in charge of the kingdom kind of shows, you know, just how close mm -hmm. they must have. Um, but as, um, as um, Henry's reign goes on, he starts to run out of money and um, he's been fighting wars in France and it's been going very successful and uh, very successfully. And he's about to claim the throne of France for himself, but he's running really low on money um, and he needs money to do this. Uh, so um, Henry wanted to marry the French princess um, because this would have um, sealed the treaty between him and France. It would have um, made him next in line for the French throne. Um, it would have tied the houses together. Um, but he needed money to make a really big, spectacular wedding. Um, and he also needed to pay all of the soldiers who had been fighting as wars for him. Um, and so his stepmother, Joan, becomes a bit of a target, really. Um, she was incredibly wealthy. Um, so his father, Henry IV, had um, given Joan a really large dower when they got married. So this was like her allowance from the crown. Um, and she'd been given over six and a half thousand pounds a year. Wow. Um, which oh was a huge gosh. amount. <laughs> So <laughs> it, it seems silly now but exactly it was a huge amount I mean at that time the annual income for the whole um crown was about 56,000 pounds mm -hmm. and so she's got half thousand mm -hmm, yeah. so she's got more than a tenth of yeah. the crown's total income is just for her wow. so she was incredibly wealthy yeah it was it was by far the biggest hour up to that point and um so you know Henry's running really low on money he's pretty much broken in debt and suddenly you know his stepmother who's got all of this money is quite an interesting target and so despite the fact that he seems to have really liked her and gotten on with her at some point someone at court perhaps or you know even himself came up with this idea of seizing Joan's money for him to use he could have just asked and so, she sounds like a nice person <laughs> <laughs> well that's the thing though you know she was legally entitled to mm -hmm. that money um and he sort of needed it permanently mm -hmm. you know he didn't just need a loan he needed a boost of his mm -hmm. income mm -hmm. and he actually tried um he had tried earlier on there's this record where he sort of talks to his servants and says you know see if there's any way that you can get some of Joan's money for us to use mm -hmm. um and they don't be unsuccessful mm -hmm. And so he really did need this money. And she was, again, because she was a woman, she was kind of the easiest target because although there were men at court, if he tried to seize their money, you know, they could easily rebel against him. You know, they controlled mm -hmm. lots of land. Um, they had huge armies at their disposal. Um, and also those armies that they held were armies that he needed to fight the war. Yeah. So he couldn't really risk alienating any of the men at court. And so targeting a rich woman is suddenly a very useful um, idea because as a woman, she's less able to fight back, even though she is the queen. Mm -hmm. Um, and she doesn't have all of this support 
um, and she doesn't have troops that she's giving for the war effort. So she's actually, um, you know, quite a big target because of her position, even though her position as queen should have protected her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like these women keep finding themselves in just, like, the worst position. <laughs> even yeah, like, even definitely. though they are, like, more powerful and better off than most <laughs> women in their country, it's just, like... That's the thing. You'd think that the sort of wealth and power would protect them, but it's actually what, what makes them weaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have these... Um, you have this strange situation where um, a warrant is put out to arrest her personal confessor, so her private mm-hmm. priest, and it's his goods get seized and he tries to flee abroad. Um, But right from the offset, you can see that it's actually all a plot against Joan. So you have a list of the goods of this priest that are seized. And when you read the list, it's very clear that actually they're all items that belong to Joan. Mm. You know, they're items that got the badge of Brittany on. Um, They're extremely expensive gold and plate and um, silver items and things that a priest wouldn't own. Mm -hmm. So actually they've taken Joan's goods, not his. So he tries to flee abroad, but they manage to capture him and bring him back. And after he's captured, he comes before Parliament and he makes these wild accusations that Joan had hired him and a couple of other people um, in her household to try and um, plot the death of the king. And he says that she wants um, them to kill him in the most evil and terrible manner imaginable. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, so very dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> um, very dramatic, but also it's not really quite clear what that means. He doesn't quite specify in the parliament mm-hmm. roles. And it's only when you look at the chronicles that this idea gets raised that actually it was witchcraft that she was trying to use and that she'd hire these people to use magic against him. Mm. Sorry, she hadn't actually told her confessor that she was using witchcraft, but then they like assumed that's what she meant by like the most evil, terrible way imaginable. Well, the the suggestion is that she has hired them specifically to kill the king and that the way that they are going to do that is by using magic. Mm. So it's not that Joan herself is using magic, okay. but it's that she mm. is hiring people to do it for mm. her, you know, not get her hands dirty <laughs> kind of thing. Uh-huh. So, um, so, yeah, so he comes out with these accusations. So, of course, they end up arresting Joan. Um, and because she is a queen, um, it's, you know, she's not sort of thrown in the dungeons. She's she's put under house arrest. Um, and right from the offset, you can tell that these accusations don't really have any weight to them. Because although she would have been treated better because she is a queen, you know, it's still very serious. It's, it's treason to kill the king, you know, even mm-hmm. if it's with witchcraft. Um, and so, you know, it's it's potentially um, a crime that she could be put to death for. And despite this, she's put under house arrest and she's taken to various castles and palaces. And she still has dozens of servants waiting on mm-hmm. her. And she has horses in her stable and she's allowed to go riding. Mm-hmm. And she has um, gifts of cloth given to her mm-hmm. that she's then giving out to her servants. Um, and she's got, you know... Um, all these um, silver cutlery and candlesticks and she's got a cage for her parrot (laughs) and all of these wild things that someone who's accused of trying to kill the king Mm -hmm. would not be given. You'd think she'd Um, be like in the Tower of London or... Yeah. Exactly. Was was it the king who was giving these things to her? Or who was giving them Uh, to her? Yes. 
Yeah, so the the money for her upkeep comes from the royal purse. You know, money is paid mm -hmm. um, to people to look after her on the king's behalf. Um, mm -hmm. The king does order some things to be sent to her as well. Um, but, you know, anything that she was given would have had to have been approved by um, or, or at least the council. Um, so it shows mm -hmm. that, you know, clearly there's something going on here. You know, clearly there's something behind these accusations that, suggests that they were not actually true that she didn't actually do this because mm -hmm. she just wouldn't be treated the way that she was yeah. if it had even though even though she was a queen even though she was his stepmother if this had really happened she would not be treated well so um so yeah so basically um although she is accused she is never put on trial so i said um mm -hmm. in the previous um episode that um jaquetta you know, there'd been an inquest and an inquiry mm -hmm. was going on to find out if it's true or not. Um, Joan was, um, all that happened was mm. she was put under house arrest and she was moved um, to Leeds Castle in Kent, confusingly, not in Leeds. <laughs> this castle was fairly luxurious um, and was quite a nice place to be put into confinement. Um, mm. But she stays there for several years. Um, and mm. never has a trial, but it's never released. Um, and she's kind mm. of just in limbo. Um, and so she continues to have luxurious things sent to her. Um, after the sort of first few months, her household expenditure is cut down mm. um, a lot more than it was from the first sort of few weeks, few months. Mm -hmm. But again, it's still it's still not a bad um, place to be she's still getting gifts she's still being sent food and servants and cloth um, and she is staying with um, several people who are very high positions in court and although it's not recorded they probably would have also been helping to supplement her living so mm -hmm. although the records show that her her expenses have been cut it was probably being made up by then so she was probably still living in in quite luxurious standards um and although she's arrested she continues to receive guests and visitors throughout her time and again this shows that she can't really have done what was accused of her um because um henry's brother humphrey um, who is also her stepson, he comes to visit her several times. Um, you even have the Archbishop of Canterbury comes to hers for dinner on numerous occasions, um, which is very suspicious for the leader of the church yeah. to be visiting a <laughs> oh, witch accused yeah. of treason. Um, so it's very clear that this is just a complete farce and has just been done for political reasons. But unfortunately, she is stuck um, in prison and she only gets released on Henry's deathbed so Henry gets ill during mm -hmm. his wars in France and it becomes clear that he's going to die and you can see that clearly his conscience catches up with him um, mm -hmm. because about six weeks before he dies he addresses parliament and he releases Joan and he says um, lest she be a charge on our conscience mm -hmm. Um, so that's really sort of strong, strong language that shows that he's mm -hmm. really guilty about how he treated his stepmother and he wants yeah. to make sure that she's OK 
before he dies. Um, so he orders that she's to be released. Um, he says that she should be given um, luxurious gowns and horses and carriages. Um, she should be free to go wherever she wishes um, across the whole realm um, and that everything should be returned to normal. Um, and in the address, he calls her his mother, Queen mm. Joan. So he's mm. really emphasizing that she's meant to go back exactly where she was before and she shouldn't suffer from from these accusations against her, um, which interestingly, he never addresses what these um, accusations were mm. in his talk. Mm. He never says, you know, she tried to kill me with witchcraft. He just says that she was imprisoned for causes, as you know. So he doesn't even wow. specify yeah. it in his talk. Um, so he's really trying to play it down. And I think also to an extent, he doesn't want to say what happened to her because he doesn't want to admit what he mm. did. He just, again, sweep what happened to her under the rug and make sure she's restored before he dies yeah yeah he clearly sounds really like guilty and like ashamed even um mm-hmm. but I'm wondering why do you think if you have any thoughts on this like she didn't try to clear her name the way Jaquetta later would try to clear her name like if she knew this was clearly a false accusation and she knows that everyone else knows it's a false accusation do you think she was just maybe like less yeah. prideful or like didn't care about her reputation or like just cared about um, Henry so it's, much? Yeah, I think it's a mix of things, really. I think she was in a different position to Jaquetta. So when the charges against Jaquetta had been proven false, Edward was back on the throne. So she was the mother of the queen, her her son-in-law was on the throne Mm -hmm. um and so there's a lot of authority behind that and so she is able to say you know put it in parliament I want it spread across the Mm -hmm. realm that you know everybody knows that this is false um but for Joan you know she's in prison for so long and when she's in prison there's nothing that she can do even if it's uh, a comfy confinement Mm -hmm. you know she can't make an announcement to everyone saying I'm innocent you know it doesn't have that support Mm -hmm. and um then when she is released you know Henry's already died um and to an extent there isn't a need to um you know Jaquetta was still in a difficult position because Warwick was still alive you know the man who had Mm -hmm. brought these accusations against her was still at court still powerful and could use it against her again so she needs to cut it off at the source Mm -hmm. but Jones was very different you know it came from the court it was to seize her wealth she's been restored And the other difference, in a way, is Joan was never officially put on trial. So there wasn't necessarily something to argue against. You know, although word had sort of gotten out in the kingdom, I think it's very clear to people in the kingdom that she hadn't actually done anything because of how she was treated, because she wasn't put on trial. Um, And even sort of the way the chroniclers record it, kind of have a bit of disbelief about it you know they sort of say it is said that she Mm, did this mm -hmm. you know they don't say she did this so there's this kind of I get this feeling that kind of everybody in a way was in the know everybody kind of knew that she didn't really do anything and so it wasn't quite as important that she cleared her name whereas with Jaquetta there is this real idea she could have done something because look we've had to execute her family members because they've Mm -hmm. done things Mm -hmm. so clearly Mm -hmm. she could have done Mm -hmm. them as well so they're they're quite different positions Mm -hmm. and I think 
I think Joan just wanted to put it all behind her as well um, because once she is released she does have a much quieter life than she had before the accusations you know she really cuts down on her spending she's she doesn't stay at court she sort of moves around the kingdom mm. in some of her manners things mm-hmm. and just sort of sees her family and isn't really a big powerful person at court and so I think she just kind of wanted to get some of her things back and just just live out the rest of her life and didn't want the hassle of it and you know if she sort of tries to find a way to refute the accusations then it just reminds everybody of the accusations Mm -hmm. in the first Mm -hmm. place as well yeah that makes sense um I'm wondering so the book you were talking about when we had talked about uh the Elizabeth and Jaquetta that was by this German yeah. man saying how come women were now witches and that kind of stuff. That was that, mm-hmm. af- I mean, was that before Joan's accusations? Cause I'm just wondering, she wasn't really accused herself of using witchcraft, but of using men to do like the actual spells. Mm. Is that correct? Yeah. So, um, so the book, the hammer of witches came out much later so Joan's accusations are around sort of 1419 um, and his book comes out right towards the end of the century sort of the 1480s 1490s Um, so it is much later so as you say there is still this idea of witchcraft is forming um, and the word witch is never used in the chronicles around her Mm. Um, the only thing that is mentioned is sort of um, negromancy or Mm, necromancy mm -hmm. Um, and so this is, you know, this is way before those ideas of proper witchcraft and this is what a witches were forming. Um, and yes, it, it is telling that, you know, the the key person accused of the crime is a man and he's a priest. And, you know, I, I mentioned before that, you know, men were accused because they were educated and priests were part of the class of society who were educated mm-hmm. um because you know you had to be to be a member of the clergy you needed to read and write and you know people higher up the church were very educated you know they could speak different languages um and so the fact that he was a member of the clergy works both um because he's then going to be educated and able to do this magic um but also because he was her personal confessor so he was her private priest he was the one that was responsible for her spiritual matters mm. and would have known everything about her and what she was doing. And so he is in that position of trust um, to know what what she is plotting behind the scenes and what her spiritual health is like, um, which again makes it a more believable accusation that it's coming from him who is very close mm. to her rather than from just a random person saying that she's doing it. Mm-hmm. And so specifically with her, the charges against her, would they have been about someone like trying to put a spell, use a spell to like kill the king? Would it have been like making potions or something? Yeah, so this is again something that's quite unclear because the records don't really specify what she did we don't really have any idea so with Jaquetta you know they say oh we found these wax figurines Mm -hmm. so you know that the idea is that she's using image magic whereas with Joan there's not really any evidence brought forward of what she would have done um the only thing that sort of mentions it is just saying that it was evil Mm -hmm. magic um so there's sort of a variety of things that it could have been it could have been some form of placing spells and curses which could have been done from afar 
Um, it could have been image magic, like with Jaquetta using figurines to try and um, cast the spells over the person they represent. Um, you also have necromancy, um, which is summoning the spirits of the dead to help you. And this could be either in the form of prophecies, so they could give you information about the past or the future to help you out. Um, but there's also this kind of idea that, you know, the spirits of the dead might be able to help you in a way as well. Um, so it is, it's, it's all very mysterious of exactly what it was that she was supposedly um, accused of doing. Um, but it, it probably would have been something along those lines rather than a physical thing of sort of poisoning mm-hmm. him or something. Mm. That's so interesting. I, yeah, I didn't, I haven't really heard of the necromancy before. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of like calling up the spirits and how they would help you kind of reach whatever goal it is. Yeah, yeah. And that is one of the one, one of the forms of magic that was a sort of very educated mm-hmm. form of magic. So that's not something that anybody could do. You wouldn't have an uneducated peasant doing that. Mm. That is something that was reserved for priests and scholars. Um, it was it was considered a very high form of magic. And so again, this is where the fact that it was her priest who was involved um, supports that argument because he is someone who would have been able to to access that magic and have read the texts that would have been able to help him do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, very, I don't know, I was going to say cool, but I don't know if that's the right word. (laughs) Very interesting. So Eleanor Cobham is someone who I was super interested in. I haven't done like a lot of research into her. I've kind of like read her Wikipedia page, um, but that's about it. Um, But yeah, so I'm super interested to hear more about her and because she was someone who she was uh, like accused and I think found guilty. Is that right? Yeah, so um, Eleanor is the one who definitely suffers the most out of all four women in the book. Um, and I definitely have, you know, a soft spot for her and a lot of sympathy for her. Um, so she is the person that sort of ties Joan to Jaquetta and Elizabeth. Eleanor was the daughter of Knight. Um, so she was um she wasn't low status, but she wasn't high status. She was sort of middling nobility. Um, she had some powerful ancestors. Um, one of her ancestors had been a knight of the garter, which was the highest honor um, a man could mm. be given. So she she had some good blood in her, but she was still fairly low down the nobility. Um, and she found her way to court and she became the mistress of Humphrey, Duke of Gloucester. And Humphrey was actually um, one of Joan's stepsons. And he was actually one mm. of the people who went to visit her when she was in mm. prison. Um, so he was the son of Henry IV and the brother of Henry V, so son and brother of mm-hmm. kings. Um, so very powerful man. And they started a relationship together whilst Humphrey was married to someone else. Um, but his marriage had been disastrous. He'd married um, this um, foreign woman called Jacqueline of Hainault. And he'd married her to try and claim her lands um, over in Holland and Zealand um, and Hainault. Um, but it'd been a bit of a disastrous marriage. Um, they hadn't had any children together. Um, he was busy fighting all these wars, trying to claim her lands. And 
he was losing mm-hmm. really um and so he kind of wanted to get out of the marriage and this is part of the reason probably why he turned Eleanor as someone um to have with um so he's still married to this lady um but the pope ends up annulling their marriage he'd actually been married to someone else um and this is a time where you have the papal schism so you have two different people um claiming to be pope at once Mm, mm -hmm. and jacqueline had obtained a divorce from one pope but the other pope had never said it was okay Mm. And this other pope was the one that the people in her kingdom um, listened to. And so he finally said, no, the divorce was never legal. Um, She was always married to this man. And so that means any other marriages she had were also illegal. So he basically between um, Humphrey and Jacqueline. Now, this is Mm. bad for Jacqueline because she the support of England but it's great for Humphrey because he'd already basically given up on the marriage and so (laughs) now he can focus on his relationship with Eleanor and so not long after they get annulled I think it was actually the same year he ends up marrying Eleanor instead Um, and this is very much a love marriage a bit like Joan and Henry beforehand It's a very low rank, you know, it was a, a big step down for him. There was no alliances, no money, no land. Um, and so it's very clear that they just obviously really loved each other and he just wanted to have a happy marriage after his unhappy one beforehand. Um, so Eleanor sort of suddenly becomes basically a princess of England. You know, she's part of the royal family now. And so it's a big step up for her. Um, and they basically have a really happy marriage together um, for sort of 10, 15 years or so. And they become really powerful. Um, so after Humphrey's brother Henry dies and releases Joan, um, his heir is his nine month old son. So you have a baby being king of England. And so this means you have a really long regency mm. where Humphrey and his brothers are controlling the kingdom on his behalf. Mm. Um, so that makes it very powerful. And over time, all of Humphrey's brothers dies until he's the oh, only wow. one left. And this means that he is heir to the throne because the king is just a child. He's not married. He doesn't have kids of his own. So if he dies, Humphrey is next Mm. in line. And so suddenly Eleanor's gone from being the daughter of a knight Mm. to potentially becoming queen of England. Um, And so it's a real change of fortune for her and and a real step up um, from where she'd been before. Um, But of course, this then puts her in a dangerous position as we have seen uh with (laughs) with the other women because you know power brings intrigue Mm -hmm. (laughs) um this is just a side note but i think it's interesting that um because during this time like most of the a lot of the marriages they seem to be more like arranged but all of the women happen to have kind of had like love matches which i just think is interesting but also sweet Mm-hmm. yeah definitely it is something that really sticks out as you say every single woman in the book does seem to have had a love marriage even if to an extent there was politics behind it um they do seem to have loved their husbands before the marriage um and that only grew throughout mm-hmm. and so yeah that is definitely a very striking um aspect of it um and also plays into that 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 aspect of the love magic Mm. um, and the emotional side, you know, if it's known Mm. that they've married for love, it it adds another dimension Mm. to the accusations rather than it just being a political match organized between their parents or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would think that then they would also, 
it might also lead to them having some of the problems that they do have because if the husband is actually like in love with them and respects them then they would maybe have more sway over their husband which could make mm-hmm. the people see mm-hmm. them as kind of more of like a threat or something mm-hmm. yeah definitely yeah yeah that would have been the case as well because yeah they're they're more likely to be at court they're more likely to be around their husband more often and and as you say yeah perhaps more of, uh, more likely to listen to them as well so yeah that that could well have given them extra power mm-hmm. as well Sabrina did you have a question I thought I cut you off no I was just going to say like I think it's just so crazy that love marriages were so uncommon to the extent that people would think they used magic to make someone fall in love with them Mm -hmm. like at this level of society I guess it was so uncommon and so yeah I just think that's so interesting yeah definitely yeah yeah it it was an aspect as you know people did still marry for love at sort of all levels of society Mm -hmm. but you know it wasn't it wasn't often your first marriage it might be your third Mm -hmm. or fourth marriage you know have all the political marriages and then if you'd lasted that long then maybe at the end of your life you would marry someone for love yeah. but you know Eleanor's first marriage was for love and um so was well Elizabeth it was her second marriage and the same with Jaquetta and Joan but you know even then the fact that it was only their second mm-hmm. marriage um that marrying for love um is is quite early on and it's also when they are still in the prime of their lives and still in positions of power yeah. as well um, you know, they hadn't sort of gone off to the sidelines, retired quietly, married for mm-hmm. love. They were still very much powerful people who were married yeah. for love. So it's, it's definitely a very interesting thing that connects them all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so Eleanor, things seem to be going well for her, but I have a feeling that they're going to take <laughs> a downward spiral very quickly. Yeah, so... Um, so Eleanor is married to the heir to the throne, Humphrey, and Humphrey has been at the forefront of politics for decades, you know, ever since he he was a teenager. Um, he fought at the Battle of Agincourt um, and he was regent of England um, during Henry VI's minority. And so he's this really powerful mm-hmm. man. Um, but you do have other powerful men at court and he has a rival who is actually his half uncle, um, Cardinal Beaufort. Um, and Cardinal Beaufort, again, visited Queen Joan whilst she was imprisoned mm-hmm. um, because, you know, he was half brother of her husband. Mm. So, again, there's that family tie and that tie back to Joan. Um, and he was very powerful. He was he was very high up the church. Um, he was very, very wealthy. And during um, all of the crown's battle over the French throne, he was constantly giving them money when they were in debt. Mm. And so he... He was very influential and, um, you know, the crown had to listen to him because they needed him. But for some reason, he and Humphrey absolutely hated each other and their entire lives, they were trying to bring each other down. And one of them would find out something about the other and get their power removed. And then they'd come back and they're just constantly fighting back Mm. and forth. Um, And so they have this huge rivalry and there's another man at court also gaining power. Um, And so you sort of have these factions starting to build up and the battle with France has been waging on for decades and decades. And lots of people in England are getting tired of the war, Um, particularly those at court. They want to stop fighting so that they can stop spending money and they want to make peace with France. But because Humphrey has been there since the start um, and he promised 
brother Henry on his deathbed that he would continue to fight for the throne for his son. Um, so he doesn't mm -hmm. want peace with France. And so you end up with these two factions at court of those who support Humphrey and those who support Beaufort um, and the other side who want peace. Mm. And Humphrey sort of becomes a bit of an inconvenience. So people at court decide that they want to get rid of him. But he is so powerful. You know, as I said, if anything happened to the king, he would become king. And so you couldn't just attack Humphrey directly. You know, it would it would be basically akin to treason mm. to attack him. Mm. And so it's really difficult to know how to get rid of him. This is where his wife comes in, really. Because, again, as a woman, she's weaker. Um, and, you know, in this period, reputation is intertwined. And if you have a family member who's done something wrong or committed treason or rebelled, then even if you had nothing to do with it, you're still kind of placed under suspicion. People don't trust you as much. And so the idea sort of comes up that, well, if we can find a way to bring Eleanor down, then Humphrey will be tainted by association. Mm. Because the other mm. problem is um, Henry absolutely loves Humphrey and Eleanor they are his favorite relatives they get lavished with gifts every year at Christmas um he listens to everything that they say and so you really need a way to break Henry's trust of mm. them so that he listen to them anymore and will throw them out of court and I think it's quite telling that Humphrey's main enemy was Cardinal Beaufort, who had been around during Joan's accusations. You know, he was half brother to the king at the time. Um, he was giving lots of money to the crown. He was very powerful at court and he saw what happened to Joan. He visited her while she was in prison. So he saw how powerful those accusations mm -hmm. were. And I be surprised if this idea sort of originates with him where he sort of goes well you know this accusation of witchcraft worked once before so maybe it will work again here um but whoever comes up with it this accusation is raised against Eleanor where several members of her household are arrested and they all come out and say, just like um, the priest did for Joan, they all come out and say that Eleanor had hired them to perform wow. witchcraft and magic to try and kill the king. Oh my gosh. Um, and this idea is that she wants to kill the king because that will make her husband mm -hmm. king and it will make her queen. So she's got a very strong motive to do it as well. Mm -hmm. Um and, and it's devastating. You know, there's several people who have accused her and they are reputable men. They're very educated men. They're at court. They're in her household. Again, they're, they serve her. So they're people who are close to her and know what she's doing. Um, and she basically has to flee to sanctuary um, in Westminster Abbey because she's so fearful of her life mm. and these accusations against her. Wow. And it's crazy how how powerful their words can be, like just saying like, oh, she's a witch. And then that changes her life forever, even if she hasn't done anything. And just that this is so yeah. time and time again. It's crazy. Yeah, definitely. It is. As you say, you know, she was she was the most powerful woman in the kingdom um, because all of the previous queens were dead. Mm. The king wasn't married. She was married to the heir. So she was the most important and powerful woman in the whole kingdom and just generally one of the most powerful people. Um, and as you say, the fact that some people in her household can just say she hired us to do magic mm -hmm. and that's it there's there's no defending yourself from that because their their word is evidence mm -hmm. really and I think that's partly why the accusations against Chiquetta were so weak so you know I said 
I said how um, as soon as they were investigated, they fell apart and they were really flimsy and not well thought out. And I think part of that is that they didn't think they needed that much evidence. They thought that just have having someone say she did it mm. would have been enough to be successful because they've seen it work on a queen of England. They've seen it work on, you know, the possible queen of England had two previous cases where it's worked and it's worked really well um mm-hmm. and so people have seen how powerful it can be um because it had happened twice before with Joan and Eleanor mm-hmm. and yeah. do you think or do you know for the you know her servants and stuff who kind of turned against her would they have been like threatened or what do you think would make them because it or just seems so, yeah, yeah like so harsh to just turn against someone like yeah. that yeah so I I think that um I think that they were possibly bribed, possibly threatened, and possibly promised amnesty. Um, so what happens is they they arrest the members of her household um, quite a while before they accuse her, sort of several weeks beforehand. Um, the first man is arrested and he's taken to the Tower of London. And, you know, he is a lower class person. So he wouldn't have been in the comfy apartments mm-hmm. in the Tower of London. He would have been in the horrible dungeons. Um, and, you know, if you're sort of thrown in that position and sort of said, you need to say this against this person, you kind of don't have much yeah. choice because you might think it's the only way to save yourself. Um, And I definitely think that they were probably promised some amnesty um, because what actually happens is all of them get sentenced to death um, and one of them dies beforehand and one of them gets pardoned. Um, But one of them, Roger Bolingbroke, um, gets executed for his part, um, his his supposed Mm -hmm. part in this plot. And and, um, when his death is recorded in the Chronicles, they say that on the stand just before he's executed, he proclaims his innocence. He says that he never did what he was accused of. And this kind of goes against the execution etiquette where people were expected to confess mm-hmm. to their crimes because it would it was seen as more honourable and it would mean that their, um, their surviving descendants would um, be treated better and get more mm-hmm. land. And so I think it's really telling that just as he's about to die, he says he's mm-hmm. innocent. And obviously, you, know, you you could argue that that's just him trying to get his innocence at the last moment. But I think it kind of suggests that up to that point, he didn't realise how serious mm-hmm. it was and that he might have believed that if he had said something against Eleanor, that he would be let mm-hmm. free. And it was only as there on the scaffolding and going, oh, my goodness, like, I'm actually yeah. going to die, that he suddenly goes... I didn't do yeah. it, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I personally feel that that's quite strong evidence that he was coerced and told that he would be let off, um, which then suggests that the other accomplices, you know, might have had had the same promise to them that they said, you know, we just want Eleanor. We don't want you. We just need you to help us. And that actually things get a bit out of hand mm. and and some of them do end up dying. Mm. Yeah, because I guess yeah. he wouldn't like he wouldn't gain anything like he's already being executed he wouldn't there's yeah there's nothing gain anything by lying now yeah yeah Yeah, exactly yeah and so did henry the sixth believe these accusations after she had fled and after these people were put in the tower of london yeah i mean the evidence really suggests that he completely believed what was happening you know to say 
to say how close he was, um, you know, just just the sort of year or so before he'd given Eleanor one of the most expensive um, New Year's gifts that he gave out to anyone. Um, so he clearly thought really highly of her. Um, but whilst you have this trial going on, you know, he pays for priests across the kingdom to say prayers for his protection. Mm -hmm. um, and because it's come from him, I think that shows that he really did believe he was in danger because it's not like whoever set up the trial was doing it and they were trying to, you know, use propaganda. I think it shows that he really did think, oh, well, hold on, like someone might be plotting against wow. me and I could be in That's danger. So um, and, and the fact is, you know, Eleanor, she does escape with her life. The fact that she, she ran to sanctuary did, did save her because she wasn't able to be put on trial um she was only tried within the church specifically for her witchcraft but she wasn't tried for treason mm -hmm. um but she she um she gets sent into imprisonment um and she is never released from her imprisonment mm -hmm. and she spends the next 10 years or so imprisoned um and never comes out again and i think that does show that henry really did believe that she yeah. did it um because Every time she's moved, she moves between various castles throughout her time in prison. And every time she's moved, um, Henry puts out these orders that, you know, there should be all these armed guards protecting her and that every county she goes through, the, the sheriff should meet them with more oh, soldiers wow. and protect oh, wow. her. And I think it shows that he was really concerned that there would be plots to free her mm. um and, and she she did do it and so he was so concerned to keep hold of her and make sure she stayed in prison um and so it is it's it's really sad that he clearly did believe that she had mm. done this um and and it works you know she gets imprisoned and it does exactly what was hoped in that hum um humphrey is then cast out of court as well mm. you know henry never trusts him again and he sort of stays away for court for about a year. And then he comes back a little bit and serves on the council a little bit. Um, but he's then banned from the council by oh, Henry. Wow. Um, and, and so he's thrown out of, of court. Um, so again, clearly he believed that Eleanor did it. And that then did cast suspicion on Humphrey plotting against him as well. Um, and sadly, Humphrey also then, um, a few years later, gets accused of treason as well. Um, there's this plot to arrest him um, at a parliament that um, that he's been called to. And so they arrest him and he falls into a coma and dies under this suspicion of treason. Mm. Um, and all of his members of his household are arrested um, and they are eventually freed, but only after quite a long time. And so it just shows how devastating it was that Eleanor was convicted imprisoned and imprisoned until her death and that a few years later the fact that she was guilty was enough to convince Henry that Humphrey mm -hmm. was also guilty and to arrest him um, and, and ultimately leading to his death as well um, so it, it does show that you know although Joan's case didn't seem too severe you know she was in luxurious confinement and she was freed and nothing bad really ever happened to her and then you have Eleanor, where it's just the worst possible outcome. Yeah. Um, and so it really does show just how strong those accusations could be and that they could really destroy mm -hmm. lives. Um, yeah, and I think the fact that they're... Sorry, Marva. No, you go for it. Um, just the fact that they're, like, these accusations are on both, like, a spiritual front and, like, a political front of, like, the treason and the witchcraft. It's, like, you really mm -hmm. can't... Even though she was never 
she was never tried for the treason you said but I feel like those are yeah it's just like a double-edged sword kind of and like once you've broken down someone's like morality or like Christian like yeah like morals and say like oh they're a heretic or they're practicing magic then you kind of like it's easier not to trust them and to assume like they are like evil so it's like a really strategic yeah, definitely. way to take someone down yeah it's 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 like a character assassination mm-hmm. really it is it just completely, completely destroys anything that they could yeah. argue to the contrary and takes away any trust um in who they might be exactly. yeah and I'm wondering, so I know a bit about Henry VI, and you said, like, he was, basically became king when he was a baby, and then later on, Mm -hmm. I know in his life, he has some kind of health issues, um, and he's not really seen Mm. as being, like, the strongest king, but so do you think that the reason he believed them so, like, intensely were because of maybe his own mindset or was it like did people just genuinely believe it that much more than for say like the Joan um, accusations yeah I mean I think the important thing to remember about this is that they were successful because people did Mm -hmm. believe it um and people believed it at all levels of society um and you know kings would so just like henry had the prayers said for his protection that wasn't something new you know other monarchs had done that under these sort of um suspicions of witchcraft and the previous century over in europe there were lots of witchcraft plots at court and lots of these sort of um, cases where people are accused of using witchcraft against the king or the queen or powerful courtiers. Mm-hmm. And it was as a real threat. And, um, you know, kings would would buy um, charms imbued with, um, with magical properties or they had been blessed by priests um, to try and protect them from these things. Um, and I think the other thing as well is, it's easy to sort of think that people at the time were naive and just believed any of this. That's not true. People were skeptical mm-hmm. um, and people did argue against the reality of witchcraft um, for a variety of reasons, for sort of logical reasons, for religious reasons. Um, so, for example, astrology was often viewed as a science in in uh in the medieval period so people really did believe that the stars could guide your fate and when you were born or the um astronomical alignments could affect things and doctors were um expected to know astrology because it was believed you could treat your patient better based on astrology Mm. um so whilst to us today that might kind of be viewed as a bit magical and and superstition, you know, some people really believed it was a science. But then at the same mm. time, you had people arguing against it and saying, well, you know, you can have twins who lead completely different lives. Mm. So how mm. can the stars fall because of that? So whilst people did believe in witchcraft, they also recognised that it could get a bit out of control um, and you could have these accusations. Um, and that, you know, not everyone accused of being a witch was a witch. Um, and that is partly why you have like these witchcraft manuals come up to help you mm-hmm. identify who really is a witch. You know, is it true? Um, I mean, later, later down the line, you have um, James the first and sixth of Scotland. Um, and, you know, he was a real believer in yeah. witches and witchcraft and he would sit in on witch trials to sort of see the evidence for himself. 
and he he wrote his own sort of witch finding manuals but in fact he was still very skeptical and um you know when he would sit in on cases he would say no that person's clearly not a witch this is you know a political mm. thing or it's an upset neighbor and so whilst people did believe it they were still skeptical so it's not necessarily this mob mentality of you know uneducated people in the past just believing mm. anything but they did still believe it and so if you could be presented with credible witnesses and evidence then it, it is a real risk and it would be something that Henry would have been um, and whether his mental state had anything to do with that isn't um, a lot of his the sort of mental breaks that he suffered sort of in the 50s and 60s and 70s um, so much evidence at the time of Eleanor's trial there was necessarily anything wrong with him um but it, you know well have had a bearing but you know any normal ruler would have also had those fears mm-hmm. that's just a uh, so intense like that's such an intense world to live in which um mm. yeah if you are believing that like oh anybody could be which I guess even if they aren't using witchcraft, you could think that anybody's plotting against you, but people could be plotting <laughs> against you without even yeah, seeing you or being near coming. you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And again, that's sort of how some of these accusations um, carry so much currency because it was, as you say, it was a, the whole 15th century in England was a very tumultuous time. And, you know, you have kings being overthrown and you have people being murdered and you have civil wars and people fighting and changing sides. And so in amongst all of that, it's easy to see how this suspicion of witchcraft could grow and could be used um, as a plot because everything does seem so intense and full of intrigue. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah. Um I know that, sorry, I know that I don't want to take up so much of your time, but Sabrina, did you have any more (laughs) questions? No, I don't think so. I think this is all really interesting, though. I'm glad I'm not a woman in the 15th century right now. Um, Yeah. But yeah, no, thank you so much. I think it's also, sorry, I know that I said that I wanted to let you go, but I just have one more thing to say. I think (laughs) that it's also, to me, something that has been interesting is, you know, our podcast, we talk about like sisterhood and we try to find, you know, women who like knew each other and all these women, although they didn't like know each other, they still like have so many different things that connect to them, like that I didn't necessarily even realize before, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm. between like, oh, they all had like their love marriages and obviously they all had accusations of witchcraft, but then, you know, all of them being attacked for kind of the reason of their position and that kind of stuff um, is just super interesting to me um, that kind of connects them all. Yeah I think I think when you sort of read them all it's easy to sort of view them as separate things um, and what I really wanted to do when when I wrote my book was to show how connected they were um, and as you say there's so many thematic things that connect them um, Lots of them have sort of similar backgrounds in life. They have similar marital circumstances. Um, And the other thing is they are very close together. There's only about 70 years that separates the first accusation from the last Mm -hmm. one. And they did all overlap to an extent. Um, So, you know, Eleanor was married to Joan's stepson. And they were at court together and overlapped for about 10 years. Mm. She gave Eleanor gifts, in Mm. fact. Um, So they were close Mm. together. 
Jaquetta's first husband was actually Humphrey's brother. So for a very short period of time, the sisters-in-law through that marriage connection. Yeah, and yeah. so again, they were bought at the same time. Um, and obviously, you know, Elizabeth was Jaquetta's daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and even as a little child, she could possibly have met Eleanor if she was at court. Mm-hmm. So they do all overlap and they do have all these ties and it, it is all connected and you can see each case developing from one and another. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that is important to remember as well, the, the similarities as well. Yeah. And I wonder if like Jaquetta had learned it all from Eleanor and Joan, like hearing about them and like that's why mm-hmm. she wanted to clear her name. That's totally speculation. I don't know. But, yeah. Um... No, no. We've got the uh, same line of thinking there. And I think I think it is. I think that is part of the reason why she wants it written in court is she doesn't want it coming back to her because yeah. she's seen how it worked with Eleanor and she will have heard how it worked with Joan. You know, she wasn't around at Joan's time, but she will have mm-hmm. heard what happened. Um, and mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think she's trying to trying to guard against that and she thinks if I get this written down in parliament then it can't come back to me and unfortunately that didn't work for her daughter um but yeah I I I think she really did sort of go right I've seen what this can do and I know I need people on my side so I need to Mm -hmm. do this yeah no that's really smart of her it is it is just frustrating that still like Richard the third was able to like have the last say kind of but I think that just speaks Mm. to like how much louder and like more listened to men's voices were at the time as well. It's like she did everything she could yeah. do to protect her daughter and her own. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah. Thank you so much, Gemma, for coming to talk to us. Um, I've been looking forward to this episode for such a long time. I was like so shocked that you even agreed to come on. Um, so thank you so much. Uh, oh, well, thank you for yeah. having me. It's been lovely to chat about it. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. One, two, three. This, this is is history. History. Okay, I forgot for the is. I forgot that I was not alpha. But then I remember. Well, the is is the one that you actually said on time, so. Adios. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this episode, the best way to support us is by rating and reviewing Sistery Untold on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And tell your friends. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sistery Untold. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Sistery Untold or go to our website, sisteryuntold.com. On our website, you can find our blog, which has a little bit of information following up from each episode, as well as a list of all of our sources. So if you want to fact check us or just learn a little bit more about all of the cool things we're talking about, you can find that on our blog. Okay, I'm the alpha. I know. I know who's the alpha. Okay. Okay.